All right, well, if you'll turn with me now to the book of Psalms, in particular Psalm 67 this morning, Psalm 67. Hear God's word for you. May God be gracious to us and bless us. Make his face to shine upon us. Selah. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we come before your word, we come knowing that we need your spirit to be at work in our hearts, to guide and direct, to open minds and and ears to hear. Lord, to fill me that I would proclaim your word with truth and with grace. So, Father, be at work this morning. Convict us, encourage us, strengthen us. We pray this for your glory and for our good and joy and the good and joy of the nations. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I would imagine in this room that many of you have seen the TV show Hoarders on A&E. Um, it's, it's one of those shows that you kind of feel like you shouldn't watch in many ways, but you get drawn into it at the same time. It's, it's, a weird, it's one of those weird phenomena in life. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with the show, it highlights, basically it highlights someone who has a, who has a severe problem with keeping things, um, everything that they have, and it gets to the point of... Um, living situations becoming untenable. It highlights the struggle with letting go and moving towards greater health. And there are multiple reasons why people may hoard things. It could be just an emotional irregularity. It could be an odd application of perfectionism. There could be some strong emotional attachment to make things difficult. Of course, any type of trauma can lead to this or a dread of waste, which Ironically, as you dread the waste, you're not actually using the thing that you're hoarding at the time. And though it's a bit shocking to watch a show like that where it's on that massive extreme, we can rightly be thankful we we don't have the same issue in many ways. But I think there is a sense in which we all have a bit of a hoarding impulse in our lives. It's on a much different level, I think, but the tendency to want things for ourselves is at least related to this. And perhaps we fear a, a scarcity of whatever it may be, and so we, we don't want other people to get it or just don't think about them getting it. So let's, let's just be honest here. How, how many of you have ever wanted a particular item in a store? And you've gone through and, and you find it, but it's the only one there, and you realize you can't get it right then. How many of you have ever taken it and hidden it behind the diapers somewhere, just out of the way, so you can go back later and so I'm the only, okay, good. I, I did not want to be the only one. I didn't think I was the only one who hid something that you want so no one else can get it, so you can go back and get it later. Now, on a different level than that, 
I wonder, you know, we view that through the scarcity. We're afraid we'll never be able to get it. I wonder if we view the blessing of God through a similar lens of scarcity that influences how we react to it and, and what we do with it. You know, we enjoy it. We want it for ourselves, but we don't want to share it because in our warped brains, and it might mean that we get less of the blessing, and that's not really all that appealing for us. And I think that's natural. I think it's natural. You know, if you, if you only have a certain amount of food and you really like it, you, you want it because you know that if somebody else eats it, you're not getting it. And so it's natural, but it's also selfish and wrong. Psalm 67 speaks to the blessing of God, it speaks to receiving it and longing for it, but doing so not because you want to hoard it for yourself, because you're afraid it might run out, but a longing for that blessing so that you can share it with the nations, with your neighbors. And so this text, I believe, is very much a, a needed correction to our often selfish and, and pretty unconcerned hearts. Now, the psalm as a whole does not really fit into one of the three big categories that I've talked about of orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. It just doesn't fit nicely into one of those categories. It, it has a, a pretty liturgical feel to it as it acts as a, it's a petition for the blessing of God. God, bless us. God shall bless us. It has that feel. And perhaps it was composed for one of the annual feast celebrations, there were many celebrations that the Israelites engaged in that had to do with a, um, the, the bounty of harvest. And so perhaps it was composed for that. And, but, but though we can't categorize it well, one of the things that I think we can recognize in this is, is a structure that theologians love to talk about when it comes to Hebrew poetry, and it's called chiasm. Okay, there's a diagram of it up here. Um, and so chiasm is a, a structure where you have parallel elements that correspond in an inverted order. So, like your first verse is A, but your last verse is A1, and it just moves down, and it points to the center of the text. It points to the focus of the text. It's, it's, a, it's a poetical device in order to say, this is what you really need to pay attention to, and what that structure points us to as the center of this text is verse 4. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Thematically, this is the climax, and, and even structurally, it's the only verse in the entire psalm that has three lines rather than two, so it stands out structurally as well. And the ideas put forth in this verse are the place we're going to land this morning, because this is to be the outcome of the blessing that God's people receive. It's the good of the nations. It's the, the proclamation of the gospel. Therefore, what I hope to show this morning is that God's people, we are meant to be blessed to be a blessing. The blessing of God is to be the catapult for the people of God to share with the nations the joy of the Lord. So verse 1, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Now, those, those first words uh, should draw your attention to another place in Scripture, to what's known as the Aaronic benediction in Numbers 6, where it says, starting in verse 22, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to Aaron and his son, saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. 
so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. The Lord bless you. The Lord bless you. But what is that blessing? What is that blessing that both verse 1 and the Aaronic blessing talk about? Well, we see it correspond to the shining face of God, to his presence. It's his warm presence, his presence to give life. It's his presence to bring salvation to his people, but also to give wisdom and and instruction in whatever is necessary in life. And further, that blessing does include very temporal and tangible things, such as a good harvest, freedom from enemies, well-being in all of life, what the, the, the Hebrew people called shalom, that peace of God. But folks, blessing wasn't something that was there regardless of how the people acted. The blessing of God was, and it is very much associated, uh, in general, kind of as a, as a rule, with the obedience of God's people with the obedience of God's people. Just sometime, take the time, write down Deuteronomy 28 and read it, and you will see how God lays out that there's blessings for obedience, but also curses for disobedience. Okay, blessings for obedience, but curses for disobedience. And so obviously, as a people, I think we would rather be blessed than cursed. It's, it simply makes sense. It's the, the natural human heart, and particularly the gracious blessing of God's favorable presence in our life. And you see a parallel in verse 6. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. It's that idea of blessing, of tangible blessing, and it's not some ethereal idea out there, is it? It's the yield of the earth. It's the harvest. It's something very tangible. God has provided for his people. And I love the confidence that's expressed in the words, God, our God. God, our God. The, the Lord is not some distant, aloof deity to his people. It's, we're, we're not deists. We believe in an involved God, a personal God. Matthew Henry uh, spoke of kind of four ideas that come out of this idea of, uh, of God, our God. And the first thing was that there are people in the world that can, with full assurance, call God their own God. It's those who know Christ, those who have repented and believe. We can say, God, our own God. We we can pray, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Second, that there is glory in that truth. There's glory in the truth that God has an interest in his people, that he has looked with favor upon us. And then Henry writes this, and I, I just feel it's better to quote him. He says, those who through grace call God their own, may with a humble confidence expect a blessing from him. If he be our God, he will bless us with special blessings. It reminds me of Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And then the fourth point that Henry writes, the blessing of God as ours in covenant is that which sweetens all our creature comforts to us and makes them comforts indeed. Then we receive the increase of the earth as a mercy. Indeed, when uh, when with it God, even our own God, gives us his blessing. So in many ways, I think Henry is even saying that without the blessing of God, the creature comforts are not much. We want the blessed presence of God, and that sweetens. It's it's the the integral part of the, the creature comforts that we have. Now, folks, it's not necessarily presumption to expect a blessing. 
It is faith, and, and there's an understanding of who God is, that he by nature is a gracious God who loves to bless his children. And I think it would serve us very well to view the, the comforts we have in life in that idea of blessing and the presence of God and with gratitude and thankfulness. To think about that, even, even when you open the refrigerator door to thank God for the fact that you have something that keeps your food good for days and weeks. Well, then if we jump back up to verse 1, we come to this odd word, Selah. I don't normally read it in the text, but I read it this time. As I've said before, no one truly has any idea what this word means. <laughs> it's just one of those abstract words that's just difficult, and it seems a bit out of place, too. But I think if you, if you look at this, after this verse, after verse 1, the psalm actually switches. It switches to an indirect third person rather than this very direct and personal second person. You know, you've got, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way. You've got to switch in the, that, and it also acts as a break, I think, to show that without the blessing of God, without his presence, none of what the rest of the psalm petitions is going to be possible. So we need the blessing of God. We need him to be gracious to us and shine upon us. And what is that, then, that the psalm petitions? John Calvin writes that, he says, here it is to be remembered that every benefit which God bestowed upon his ancient people was, as it were, a light held out before the eyes of the world to attract the attention of the nations to him. From this, the psalmist argues that God should liberally supply the wants of his people. The consequence would be to increase the fear of his name, since all ends of the earth would, by what they saw of his fatherly regard to his own, submit themselves with greater cheerfulness to his governments. See, the blessing of God, he's, he's saying that the psalmist prays for it because he says, when the world sees how God cares for his people, they will be attracted to that. They will see it and go, there's something different about those people. The blessings of God upon his children have never, ever been meant to be an end of themselves in this world. They are a means to something greater. So look at verse 2. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. And down to verse 7. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Here in verse 2 in particular, I, I want you to notice the parallelism. The, the, the saving power of God is paralleled with his way being known. And my mind there goes almost directly to the New Testament. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus Christ is the way. He is the saving power to all nations. Yet I do want to draw our attention to the word that in verse 2 because that signals a, a purpose statement. It signals that something is coming out of this. The, the longing to be blessed is that your way may be known on earth, not that I may have a more comfortable life and sit back and ignore everyone else around me. It's that your way may be known upon the earth, that all the ends of the earth may fear him. So Israel, God's people, the church, 
We are blessed for a purpose. Israel was given the role of priest to the nations. Exodus 19, starting in verse 5. Now therefore, if you will obey, indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. We see the same thing in 1 Peter, but this idea is that the God's people are to mediate, to make known the presence of God to the nations, to the Gentiles, to know, make known the way of the Lord and His saving power. They were to be a witness of God and His grace to the nations. Isaiah 43, verses 10 to 13. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am He. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you, and you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Also henceforth I am He. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? We are called to be witnesses. The, the, The people of God are to declare the exclusive nature of God and His character and His grace and His saving power and His way. That's the church. That's what we are called to as believers in Christ, as recipients of God's blessing. Genesis 12, we read the covenant God made with Abraham. See, this this whole thing is not new. Listen to the language in just the first three verses of Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The Lord blessed Abram so that he would be a blessing, and in him all the families of the earth would be blessed. And we know that the the seed of Abram is Jesus, in whom the nations, the world, will be blessed. Yet I think too often this idea of blessed to be a blessing isn't what happens. It's not what happens with us. We instead will either pursue blessing as an end of itself to accumulate goods and riches, build more and more storehouses and barns, have plenty. And then, if we we don't do that, a lot of times we we swing the pendulum to the other side, and our corrective is, we're not going to seek any blessings at all. We're we're just going to be kind of destitute, not need anything, and just not, not seek anything from God in this. Folks, that's not what Psalm 67 tells us. This is different news. It's it's, it's good news. It encourages us strongly to pursue the blessing of God. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us. That's the prayer that it starts with. It's calling us to pursue that, to expect it because of who God is but also in order so that God's shining face would be upon the nations, would move to the nations, that the nations would come to know the Lord, that they would be blessed. And I think this is clear in verses 3 and 5. They they form this delightful kind of bookend around verse 4. The words are so good that you have to say them twice, really, here. 
Let all the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. You see, that kind of cry, that kind of prayer, that's the heart of a believer in God. That's the heart of one who has come to know the blessed presence of God. Folks, there has to be a longing for others to know the same blessing we receive. And when we understand that there's not a scarcity of blessing, that if we share that blessing with others, it doesn't mean we get less. I think we're actually blessed more as we see people come to know the Lord. We have a desire for the nations, for all to confess the Lord, to sing and praise God and His salvation. Psalm 113.3, from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. And then we can go to Revelation 5, and I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and glory and honor and might forever and ever. Let all the peoples praise you, O God. And so then we come to that center of the psalm. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. In many ways, can can there be much sweeter of a desire for the believer than that the nations of the world would be glad and sing for joy? I mean, I think about it right now with Afghanistan. That nation is moving greater and greater into darkness and songs of mirth, or not mirth, songs of, of desperation. I remember the first time I flew into the airport at Istanbul. It's a country that's 99% Muslim, and I'm not normally like this, but I could kind of feel the darkness as I landed. Just the cloud that's there. And it's I don't think it's unreasonable, but as some of the nicest people in the world, but there is just not that joy and gladness. Folks, I think about Christ, that because of the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning the shame. To, to draw the nations to himself. And, and there's a burden of love in that, that, that he loved. God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that's a burden that I want increased in, in my own heart for the peoples around me, for the nations of the world, and honestly, for the nations that are on our doorstep. I drive out of my neighborhood and I see people who are not from this nation. The blessing of God, of the people of God making the way of the Lord known, is for joy and gladness. It's proclaiming to people the way of salvation and seeing spiritually dead men and women raised to new life by grace through faith because of the work of Christ. But, you know, there's simply, there's more than simply joy and gladness. It's actually spelled out as to what brings about this joy and gladness besides salvation. And the second and third lines spell this out. And what they tell us is that the joy is one of the Lord judging with equity, in fairness, completely upright, and also that he guides, that he leads, that he governs the people. 
Derek Kidner, who's a great commentator on this, he says, it's fundamentally the joy of perfect fairness in which the impartiality implied in the word judge is partnered by the shepherd-like concern of a guide. The, the fairness of a judge, and, and, and the, the Hebrew idea of, of uh, judge was not only a judge in a criminal trial judging rightly in that, but also of a plaintiff who is seeking freedom from oppression, from someone who's going against them, and seeking justice in that, and that the judge cares. It's the parable of the persistent widow who goes and goes and goes and goes. See, the Lord rules with perfect and holy impartiality as a judge, but also with grace and compassion and tenderness of the good shepherd. There's no impulsive or unpredictable judgment, and certainly it's not tyrannical or absent of love. The way the Lord guides and judges is in strength and power and righteousness paired perfectly with tenderness and holiness and grace how you would all long to stand before a judge in a case that you knew you were innocent in a court here with a judge like that. Consider passages like Isaiah 11 or, or 42, and I'm just going to read a few verses of Isaiah 42. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. It's the picture of Christ, the chosen one, the Messiah, who judges in perfect fairness, but has that tenderness of one who won't even further break a bruised reed or the smoldering wick. He's not going to just go, you're done. He fans it into flame. So there is a beauty now. It is operating to some degree now, this equity, this guiding but it will not be in fullness until the return of Christ. Psalm 98.9, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Folks, that's actually the gladness of the nations. The gladness, gladness of the nations is complete and perfect rule by our judge and shepherd, by the perfect judge, by the good shepherd. And I look at a text like this in Psalm 67, and, and I want this to be my prayer and the manner of my life, but as I look at it, I have some questions for my own heart. And I think they might be questions for you as well. Am I too content with the blessing of God for myself and not burdened for the nations, and really in particular, my neighbors? My neighbors either right across the street or in parts of Hamilton, or wherever they may be? Am I not burdened for them to experience this blessing? And so I pray that the Lord increases my and your heart for the nations to experience joy and gladness. Charles Simeon he has some very strong words on this when it comes to this idea, and I, and I think we need to hear them, because 
they challenge us of how nonchalantly at times we take the experience of grace and salvation. We take it for granted. And he wrote, he says, Be assured, you know but little of the saving efficacy of Christ's blood or the sanctifying efficacy of his grace if you are not longing and laboring to bring others to a participation of your blessings. He's basically saying you're a hoarder who isn't even experiencing what are she, he or she hoards. Now, I realize a statement like what Simeon just read can bring about some severe weight of guilt. But rather than let it have the guilt, one, if it does, repent and, and ask the Lord to change your heart. But rather, let it bring about a greater longing in your life for the blessing of the presence of the Lord for the blessing of Christ that, that, that will then in turn bring about that longing and laboring for others to know the blessing and the rule of Christ. Don't get the cart before the horse and try and do everything without actually being with Christ first. Be with Christ, and as you're with Christ and the heart of Christ works in you, you won't be able to help wanting to tell others and labor for the gospel. Then another question is, how, how do I view people? Do I view them as the other, as a threat, or as a possible participant in the joy and reign of Christ? Now, how do I think about 50,000 refugees from Afghanistan coming to our country? Are they a threat, or are they people who could come under the joy and gladness of the reign of Christ, and that the church has an opportunity to bring that blessing? Let us be the instrument in spreading that blessing, the joy and gladness of the Lordship of Christ. And another question, do I actually long for the blessing of God? Truly, do I long for his presence? And do I view it with thankfulness and gratitude? Do not shy away from the blessing. Long for it, but long for it in order that it fills you up so much that you overflow to others. Because the reality of a consistent life with Christ, a, a, a life that's enthralled by who he is, is that it will lead us towards pursuing the goodwill of others. Part of Christ's likeness is a concern for those who are far away from God, a relationship with God that is missing this. Well, something's off. Simeon also wrote, all piety that is devoid of charity is a mere name, a phantom, a delusion. And it's not only charity that cares for the spiritual, which I would say is primary, but certainly the physical, that cares for somebody's physical well-being. So folks, as we look at this psalm, pray. Pray and long for the blessing of God. Long for him to bless, but, but do so not to hold on to it yourself, to hoard it but to share it with the dying world around us and to share it in fellowship with your fellow believers. Let us be people who long with all of our hearts to share the joy and gladness that's overflowing from within. Share that joy and gladness of the reign of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what is joy and gladness in the reign of Christ we thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. 
Lord, please be at work in our hearts. Draw us more and more unto you so that this would be the longing of our hearts. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.